Hi, and welcome to the podcast. You're having tea with Alice. This week's episode is with Ashram Pura, who is a neurologist and a neuroscientist. He's done a lot of uh, brain research, you know, Yale University graduate, all that kind of thing. I was recently recording a, a documentary, an audio documentary for Audible with him, and so I got him on the podcast because he's a very interesting cat. He's an interesting interlocutor. We talked about all sorts of things, including exercise and habit forming. We had a really nice chat in a cafe in London. I hope you enjoy listening to this episode. I very much enjoyed talking to Ash um, and I hope to have him on again. He's a, He's got more depths to plumb, I think. So uh, that's excellent. Uh, thank you everyone who's been subscribing to the Patreon, sending me emails, alisarfraser at gmail.com if you want to say hi. People have been saying hi on Twitter. Hello to you too. Um, at alliterative, A-L-I-T-E-R-A-T-I-V-E is the place to do that. I've had some really interesting conversations with the $25 subscribers. That has turned out just so incredibly well. If you are one of those subscribers, do just send me an email and we will arrange a time. That's how it is done. Um, apart from that, if you are in London, come see the Trilogy on the 1st of July. And I have various other gigs in London coming up. The best place uh, to follow those would be on Twitter because that's the one that I tend to keep updated. I don't tend to check Facebook or keep that as updated as I really should. Man, I've had a week. I was in Wales uh, with Laura Davis. I went there to support her. She was doing some gigs and I went along and also did the gigs just mainly because she had been sent to Wales for gigs about three or four times and she didn't want to go again alone. So we went to a very nice um, hotel that had been recommended by the venue we were playing at and she gave me the big bed and I woke up in the morning absolutely covered in bites, which turned out to be bed bugs, which meant just the most intense kind of detox process uh, you have to do this very like but bed bugs are pretty difficult to get rid of so we, we had to go through a whole quarantine situation and then I came back to London did the live bugle and then on Saturday I had a gig at a library in Crystal Palace and on the way to the gig I went I went into the city to do a little bit of prep work and then as I walked out of the cafe I was working in I bumped into the nude cyclists apparently there is an annual cycle ride of nudists so I, I thought well I won't go into Piccadilly station I walked around them I went down to Trafalgar Square where there was a, a march um, protesting against the imprisonment of Tommy Robinson who is a uh, right wing character he, I don't know a huge amount about him, but apparently he uncovered a sort of a terrible a pedophile ring in the UK, but he sort of did it because he was pursuing this idea, uh, an, uh, an Islamophobic idea that Muslims are pedophiles, and he did uncover this like, pedophile ring, but then his friend turned out to be a pedophile, and then he's also very racist and right-wing. I need to look into it more. It sounds horrendous. The riot was horrendous. There were police being sort of helped away by their friends and there were various people bleeding in the streets and then I walked away from that and I went to St James's Station and there was a train carrying coal like it was the 1800s and then I got to the library and there was a silent disco there and I thought I had moved into an alternate dimension where nothing made sense anymore so it has been a week that said I will stop rambling and offloading my issues onto you uh, Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy the podcast. I will see you next week. You're having tea with Alice. Right. 
Who are you and what are you drinking? Oh, uh, my name is Ash. I'm a neurologist and a neuroscientist. I'm about to get a tall Americano with a little bit of milk. You're about to get a green tea. I am. Why a tall Americano with a little bit of a milk? So this is the is problem. Is it because you're Americano? No, no, it's because the, the, the coffees range in size. So mm. I thought that we're going to have a conversation that's about the length of an Americano. But we're going to have a conversation that's a little bit longer than a flat white, which as it turns out is about a 10 minute conversation. I don't know. Could be, could be longer, could be shorter. Yeah, we'll, we'll go as long as we, as we want to yeah. go. I think Americano is about, it's about a 40 minute conversation. Okay, all right. That's a, that's a decent length. Yeah. Um, what have you been wrestling with recently? Well, I've been wrestling with quite a few, <laughs> quite a few things. Um, one that might be interesting to talk about is the uh, is the issue of exercise. Mm -hmm. I don't exercise. You clearly do. Uh, not as much as I should or would like to. Much le Okay, that's not true. I exercise a reasonable amount. I used to exercise a lot more, and so you always measure yourself by your previous peak, right? Yeah. So I used to be a, you know, I used to run marathons, which means that now nothing is anything anymore. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Um, no, I never did any of that. No. No, you're you know, a doctor, right? Yeah, Surely I know. That would it's the kind of thing that I recommend to people all the time. And it's also, it's not just, thank you very much. Oh, that's lovely. It's your Americano. So that is a 20-minute drink. That's all right. We can order another one. Okay. Um, it's not just that I recommend it lots for health. It's that I recommend it lots for kind of mental health. Uh, interesting. And it's one of those things, you know, like you and I were talking about meditation the other day and about the uh, idea that people who study meditation don't really meditate yeah not as much as you would think that they yeah, would so given I'm that they're you, doctors studying don't something. do as much exercise as you would think they would do given how much we know about the benefits of exercise i mean that makes sense to me to a certain extent in that everyone is capable of giving for example really good relationship advice <laughs> Everybody knows what you should do in your relationship. Yeah, everyone knows what they should do. Yeah. But maybe there's, like, is there something about giving the advice that makes you feel like you don't have to take it? Oh, that's interesting. In the way that, you know... Um, you just get the virtue from it. Yeah, I think in that's the way that, true. like, telling people to be activists online, like telling people to go to their local thing and vote, means you don't have to do it? Yeah. I wonder if that, if you get the... There is a... Um, Some sort of psychological reward for saying... Yeah, and, and, and people have studied that in these online things, haven't they? Where, like, the people who advocate for a lot of stuff, they don't actually do... Yes, I don't, don't know, do I don't know about the actual data on that, but I've always felt that. I've always felt that... You've done it. You've you're, tweeted it. It's done. You're letting out... You're, val you're providing a valve for the steam, the motivation steam. If you do something yeah. about it, then you don't have to do the best possible thing about it. You can just do this tiny thing yeah. about it, and that relieves you of the itch. Yeah. Of the intolerable itch of injustice. You, you sort of... Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's Well, it's good. interesting, because, I, I, you know, it does seem like... Would you remember when all of that stuff was happening with the Arab Spring, with this idea that social media is going to cause a lot of change because people are able to, you know, voice their opinions? Yeah. Um, that went a bit differently than everybody predicted. But I don't know. So you do have these big protest movements, but it doesn't seem like things change... No. I don't know if they ever did, though. You know, we don't really remember a time when they... When anything really changed? Well, I mean, it does seem like... But you, they're looking at su successful protest movement, like the civil rights movement in America. 
things dramatically changed as a result of a movement, well, which wasn't the, just discussion. Do it you was think that, I'm, I mean, I don't know this, because, of course, history characterises the, the, the movement, the activism as the, um, the lever or the catalyst for change. Uh, whether or, that's really true. Whether that's really true or not, or whether the movement was a response to or came out of a changing attitude in general, that yeah. everyone's opinions wo- were We're changing, changing anyway, because that's the zeitgeist. I, mean, I am have, a believer in the sense that this idea of the zeitgeist, which, which is a kind of an interesting and weird... I mean, I think for a neurologist to believe in something that abstract is odd. But I do think that there's... Um, you know, in some way, there is like a cultural conversation that goes on. And for some weird reason... Have you noticed, for example, that everybody's fucking on an electric scooter all of a sudden? <laughs> like, everybody's on an electric scooter and they all talk about electric scooters. I mean, when did everybody, like, wh- when was this meeting that we all got together and we're like, let's all do electric scooters in 2018? Yeah. Where does it happen? I have absolutely no idea. But it suddenly happens. And it's happening in London. It's certainly happening. There was a big article about it happening in L.A. and in San Francisco. I mean, you know, it happens in lots a, of places all at once. This is a thing as well, you know... Um, like the coming out movement in the 80s, which did so much for gay rights, was that idea that if you knew that your uncle was gay or your friend at work was gay, all of that, that's characterised as having changed the landscape. And I always believed that. But maybe it was also that that was a time at which it was enough safer to do that, that although there was still backlash, more people were more... Like, what, what part of it was causation what part correlation what yeah. part consequence yeah like, it's really hard to yeah it's hard to know because these I, but I, I, I guess it must be that it must be true that if ideas like this spread faster that the the zeitgeist changes faster the cultural context changes faster yes right? because it, why, why, you know like 2000 years ago it didn't seem like social ideas were changing as fast but again, maybe, maybe they were and we just don't know. Maybe people at the time felt like they were. Yeah. Well, we don't know what happened. Know. There could have been gods rising and falling on a weekly basis the way they do yeah. with hashtag Twitter trending. No, I think probably, yeah. probably less quickly because information moved less quickly. And so, you know, you'd have to write a letter yeah. and then wait three months for a reply. Yeah, that's right. God, that would be nice. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, you, you know for sure the electric scooter thing, it's not going to be, like, a 10-year thing. No. It's going to be a six-month thing. Oh, yeah. Or like a year. Everyone will have electric If it's usually successful, it will be a year. Yeah. Right. Everyone will have electric scooters that they don't know what to do with. In, yeah. in, in China at the moment, they had a surge in these bike-sharing companies. Mm-hmm. You know, the bike-sharing apps where you yeah. get... There's just, and, but they had too many... So now there are these graveyards, stadiums full of hundreds of thousands of abandoned... Of bicycles, really? Yeah, bicycles, which sort of defeats the environmentalist purpose yeah, yeah. of it. Well, I want to use them in London. They're terrible in London. They're ne- the thing is never where you want to go. You know, I, went, I wanted to come here with a bike because it's actually much faster to get here from my house with a bike. But there's not one within sort of a 20-minute walk of my house. That's and annoying. then there's not one within a 10-minute walk of here. I mean, we're right in the middle of Bloomsbury. Yeah. They're right near the train station, so it's like you'd have to go to the train station anyway. Yeah. You know, it's at the tube station. Well, I don't, I don't, I, I don't ride in London. I'm terrified yeah. of it. Yeah. I white knuckle it. I'm not confident enough in this kind of London traffic yeah. to do it. I'd rather walk and take an extra hour to get somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> so listen, what about the Fitbit? 
What do you feel about the Fitbit? I have no you don't feelings have, you don't, about you know, It's interesting. You don't have any of these devices. You don't have the Apple Watch. You don't have the Fitbit. No, I would get the Apple You're Watch. You're unmonitored. I am. You're completely I'm, I'm unmonitored. Rebel. I'm off the grid. You are. I have a phone, I guess. Uh, although I give very little of my information away online. Um, I, I, it's mainly jokes and gig updates, yeah. which means the advertising that I get on my social media is so funny. So, for example, I've never put up a relationship status, which means uh-huh. I get these ads for social anxiety, uh, people, you know, processes right. and things, tools to deal with social anxiety, uh, <laughs> therapists and stuff. I get... Uh, Maybe these people know more about you than you do. Yes, possibly. I, I get um, dating apps for elites. I get dating Very apps nice. for well done. lesbians. No? I get dating Elite apps lesbians. for like super naughty swinger things and I get uh, fat women clothing advertisements yeah. so I, I don't know why they've assumed that I'm uh, a fat lady. elite lesbian well, looking I for love of, I sort of like it because I quite like the body positivity movement except where it's you're not too fat to buy mascara that kind of capitalism <laughs> in disguise thing but I like it Generally, because it's nice to see people being happy. Is that a thing? You're not too fat to buy mascara? No, but that's just my summing up of that particular phenomenon of like where you can just see that they're just trying to broaden a market in insecurity to more people. They're selling you. That it's you know that's interesting because I do think that um, a lot of marketing is based on insecurity, and one of the things that you know, your, your show is about artificial intelligence and, and, and one of the first, I think, uses of artificial intelligence that I've really, really bumped into is this thing of advertising based on social media or based on email. Mm. That way that, like, maybe these systems understand something about the way that you communicate that you didn't understand or other people don't understand. But I do think that there are ways to, you know, what, of course what they're looking for is ways to get into your psyche mm. so to get you to buy mascara or to get you to buy a certain line of clothing I mean that's the money that's driving it yeah well it's this, it's a really interesting thing now because the positive body positivity movement is part of a, a broader range of a- advertising that says we know that you're savvy to this thing where we go oh you won't feel good about yourself unless you buy this lipstick you won't be beautiful unless you buy this. so they've, they've kind of sidelined that kind of insecurity marketing and now it's all about how you feel and your empowerment and you'll feel oh. empa- and, and so display your empowerment by wearing this kind yeah. of clothes you know show people how happy you are but of course people aren't happy so there is a subliminal pressure and it's hitting exactly the same target, hitting your insecurity, where it goes, you know, demonstrate your happiness by wearing this dress. Mm. Well, I better buy the dress then. Yeah. Because, uh, Well, know. you know, it's interesting, because it's, it's, it, it, I'm now starting to think it's a lot like uh, horoscopes. Mm. You know, you read the horoscope, and again, it, like artificial intelligence, it's, it's a sort of a mechanism for learning information about you, this astrological mechanism, that maybe you think, okay, I don't really understand the astrological mechanism, but I don't reject it out of hand. Like, maybe there's something to... So if you, if you put yourself in that mindset, then you think, okay, but this, this astrological reading could be... It could be insightful, right? So the person that writes it thinks it could be insightful. You, the reader, think it can be insightful. And you may start changing your behavior based on the astrological reading. So in fact, even though it was bullshit to start with, 
both the writer and the reader think it's real, and then it becomes real because you've started changing your behavior based on your horoscope. But I can imagine this thing with astrology, because you, you imagine, like, let, let's say that you're, you're someone who, who sells mascara, mm-hmm. and you go to Google, and Google says, okay, we've got this great AI algorithm that will predict what, uh, you know, what Alice Fraser wants to buy. Mm-hmm. Because we've got ways of trolling her email, looking at her psyche, and we've got this really complex psychological theory. We've got a, a, a big data and a, a, a analytical theory. And so you, the, the business owner, are starting to think, okay, I mean, that all sounds pretty impressive. They've got supercomputers going. They've got Ray Kurzweil. You know, they've got like, these crazy guys doing amazing stuff. And so you start thinking, as, a, as the person who produces the mascara, you think, well, why not? Like, I'll try and sell mascara to, to Alice based on this crazy algorithm. And then you, Alice, are thinking, well, actually, it's this incredibly complex artificial intelligence algorithm. Maybe this knows something about my skin and my clothes. Like, it knows my preferences. It's been accumulating my preferences for my whole life. Mm-hmm. It knows millions of other people like me. So it must know something that I don't know. And we start attributing this predictive power to the algorithm. And then, in fact, it becomes predictive because then you buy the mascara, right? Because yes. you believe in the predictive power of the algorithm. I mean, Maybe it was bullshit to begin with. But it has now started to feed back into itself. I mean, the, this is one of the problems, I think, with the algorithms, although perhaps they will perfect them in the future, is... Uh, I, I've done a joke about this before, but the idea that they're feeding you stuff you already like yeah. based on stuff you already like. So it's like that aunt who you said you liked her lasagna once and now she fucking drinks it <laughs> every time. Yeah. But, you know, things like Netflix offering me things to like based on things that I like. Yeah. That doesn't allow for the, the power of serendipity. No, it doesn't. Like, nobody tasting an olive for the first time is ever. tasting an olive because right. it tastes like anything else that right. you've ever had. No one's right. ever gone, hmm, something that tastes like pickled rubber bands and has the texture of old tyres. <laughs> yeah. But I actually, have it's lots delicious. More than that. Yeah. But th- there's nothing that you would have had before that time that would have told you that you would like yeah. this. Yeah. And so, unless they add in that random element, there's something missing from the human experience. It's by the, you know, if you start as a, a three-year-old watching Netflix, by the time you're 25, you'll be watching Teletubbies 94. Absolutely. Like it won't yeah. You won't have gone beyond yourself and expanded. Like, humans respond to challenge. Right. And this is my obsession is always, I, you know, you might have seen it. You saw my preview last night. I always try and do something that's a little bit too hard for me. Mm-hmm. Something that I can't quite carry off in the hope that I will stretch to get that yeah. good. Yeah. And maybe I'll succeed and maybe I'll fail. But either way, I've moved further than I would if I was doing something in my comfort zone. Yeah. But I don't think the algorithms cater to that. They cater to comfort, I think. Well, they cater to sales. Yeah. I mean, the main thing they cater to is sales. So, you know, when Netflix presents you a movie, the primary goal of presenting you the movie is that you like it and you keep subscribing to Netflix. Yes. Um, and I think that we, we start to lose sight of it when we say they're trying... We, we, even we use this word preferences, right? Like, it's going to present you something you like based on what you like. But actually... That word like is like, you know, I mean, that's quite a crude metric. I mean, Netflix has even gone to thumbs up and thumbs down because they found out that thumbs up and thumbs down are better predictors than giving a numerical, you know, one to five stars or anything like that. That's interesting. Yeah, because people struggle with one to five stars. And the reason people struggle with one to five stars is your response to a film is going to be complicated. There are going to be, maybe there's a character that you really liked, or maybe there's a, or in fact, maybe you hated it, but you liked 
something well, new, let's right? Look at but that native content one, the uh, Netflix put out a movie with um, with uh, Will Smith and some Australian chap, one of yeah. one of the Australians that we export to Hollywood because yeah. they need to Whose name you buy don't some of remember. our masculinity. Um, it was he was playing an orc. It was this fantasy cop drama. He was an orc. Yeah, so it was this idea that it was it was a fantasy world where there were various magical creatures, and it was um, integrated, not like a secret underworld, but yeah. like this was a world in which orcs and elves and everything coexisted. Okay. Um, sort of racial analogies in the way that they were placed in the city and so on and so forth. Um, and it was terrible, genuinely terrible. Yeah. But I watched it and I loved it. Yeah. Because I was sometimes I'm a you love a shit nerd. movie. I, I was brought up on fantasy. Yeah. I want to see more of this kind of yeah. product because, you know, I love the Rivers of London novel series, which is a, a, a beat cop and he, who is also a wizard. Like, I love all of that yeah. stuff. That's, that's my escape world. And yeah. I'm definitely watching this movie on the train home. Oh, yeah. For, for a very long time, you know, that stuff wasn't in the mainstream, really. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's sort of from Lord of the Rings, really, people started to get the idea that there was actually an interest in it and we start to be able to get the technology that would make it not incredibly embarrassing yeah, yeah. to watch. But I wouldn't know how to rate, rate that movie on one to five stars. Quality-wise, yeah. one star. You know, story-wise, the scripting wasn't great. The actors were great. Yeah. I like the ideas. Yeah. If it had been carried off, five stars. But I also, you know, like, I, think, I think there's also a piece where we watch... We watch Netflix for a certain reason. Like, you don't... You know, I, I do I do think like I don't I don't feel like I choose between watching Netflix and going to the cinema. Mm. Like I go to the cinema in a really different mood for a really different reason than I watch Netflix. So I I guess on one hand I don't expect to see the same movies on Netflix that I would see in the cinema because I'm not I'm not yes. looking for the same reason. I mean a lot of times when I watch Netflix like it's like in the background while doing something else or I'm like decompressing or like killing time but I'm not like the books I'll read on my Kindle are very different to really the books I'll read right? with covers on them exactly because exactly. the books I read on Kindle are private guilty pleasures yeah. right yeah and I'll that's read right. something that I would never be you know my mom used to do this with uh, her Georgette Heyer novels and uh, Georgette Heyer is a brilliant um, period romance writer basically she also wrote mystery novels incredible incredibly good writer very light touch very beautiful characters yeah but, you know, romance novels have a certain, you know, flavour about Mum used to cover the covers with um, Easter egg wrappers. Did she really? Yeah, shiny paper because she How said they were funny. like sweets. Yeah. But also to, you know, hide the fact because she was a very intellectual woman, my mum. Yeah. She didn't want to be judged for what she was reading. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Uh, although I have no shame. I wrote my uh, honours thesis in undergrad on Georgette Heyer, so... Well done. Well done. <laughs> re- re- redeeming her. Yeah, and celebrating your mother. Exactly. Exactly. But, um, yeah, what, what... I guess Netflix is more private. When you go and see a movie at the movie theatre, what's your, what's your psychology in that instance? I, you know, I so rarely go to the theatre now. But, I mean, it's... If I go to the theatre, I want... Um, I want something... Well, because now we have a kid, so it's expensive to go to the theater. Like, it's basically got to mean we have a babysitter, or it's just a big production. Mm. And um, so and it's a night out. It's expensive now as well. It's expensive to go. Tickets. The tickets are expensive. But then when you add in the babysitter, and then you think you have a babysitter, so you may as well have dinner because, you know, you don't want to be starving in the theater. So it, it ends up being, you know, expensive night. So I think at that level, I want more of an experience like I would get going to a play, which is that I want to see something that then I go on thinking about. For a, 
at least a couple days, if not weeks, right? It's going to be something that's worth talking to people about. And so it's something, and it's also something where, you know, of course, what's precious now is, uh, is a time and attention. So if I'm going to take three hours out of my night to do this thing, it's got to be worth three hours. It's not the same. Like, so, so Netflix, look, I mean, I'll watch something on Netflix. If I'm like making dinner and I'm chopping onions, then I might have the iPad with Netflix, but I'm not really, I'm kind of tuning in and out a little bit. Like I just kind of want something going on in the background. Yeah. Or I'm really, really exhausted and I don't really want to think about too much, so I watch something stupid. Yeah. Um, so really different reasons. I don't want to go on thinking about, in fact, on Netflix, it's, it's interesting because on Netflix, when good movies come up on Netflix, I specifically don't watch them. That's interesting. I, I, because I look at a movie and I'm like, no, it's too interesting. It's too interesting. I'm not going to watch it. Because have I'll have to pay a, I'll have yeah. to pay attention. Yeah, that's I'll have to really pay attention and I'm not watching Netflix in order to pay attention. I'm watching Netflix specifically not to pay attention. What do you watch on planes? Because that's a midway point between theaters and Netflix. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm more willing to watch a movie that requires attention on a plane. I hate the little screens, though. I'm usually in a bad mood on an airplane, though. I mean, everybody is. It's the yeah. nature of the beast. It's just like a, it's, 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 a, it's a big metal... It's like a big metal penis that creates bad moods. Yeah. Oh, That's all it does. It's compressed fart air and sadness. It it's very bad. It's horrifying. It's horrifying. So basically, I, I do escapism. Mm-hmm. Or... Um, I don't know. If I'm, if, I'm, if I'm feeling really wide awake... Mm-hmm. Then I'll watch. Uh, then I watch movies that I would have otherwise watched in cinemas. So actually, the airplane is one where I would watch a, a movie that I would watch in the cinema. I would watch that on the airplane because uh-huh. it's the focused attention. I don't mind then giving it the focused attention. Yes, I think one of the problems with that is the censorship on airplanes. So they'll leave violence in, but they cut out all the sex they cu- scenes. and the swear words. A lot of and times the they cut out. It's very strange. Yes. Yeah, uh, particularly on like Emirates or Qatari flights, where Do it's, they? yeah, where it's, it tends to be. Uh, a country or like a national airline of a country where there's uh, stricter right. standards of behavior. I watched... Um, oh, they cut out the sex in those movies. The sex, the sex yeah. but not even just the sex, also the kissing. So, for example, I watched Shape of Water on an Emirates flight because I was like, I should watch it, everyone's talking yeah. about it. And I'd read reviews of it in which they describe how basically the opening of the movie is this masturbation scene with the central character. Yeah. And in, I was sort of like, how are they going to deal with that? She puts right. some eggs on to boil, and then she takes the eggs off. In the, in the <laughs> Emirates version, it's just a, uh, a. Is that an added scene? Like we're going to do egg boiling instead no, of? No, um, I think in the, my, like putting it together in my head. That the she, masturbation came between the yeah, eggs. Yeah, that she she oh, boils see. the eggs yeah. for the amount of time that it takes her to get off in the bath. But in the Emirates version, it's just a breakfast scene. It's yeah. just her making some eggs. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's funny. But listen, the the the, the thing, the reason I noticed this thing that you don't have the Fitbit, yes, is what I've been wrestling with is whether monitoring, so monitoring your body, monitoring your health, makes you worse at knowing what your body's doing. You know what I mean? Oh, interesting. I don't know. I mean, that's what, it's kind of a theory. And, or and does I'll, it make you better at it? Right, I don't know. So I'm really mixed. I mean, so I'll, I'll tell you, like, the, in terms of evidence, the, the evidence is that... But the evidence is not good quality. But the bad quality evidence is that fitness devices motivate people to 
do fitness. On that principle that a statistic measured is a statistic improved. Right. Which is, uh, there are a couple of really good Twitter feeds for that. Uh, Men to women ratio so it just puts up listings of uh, panel shows and how many men versus how many women oh, there interesting. are. You know, either way, and it's usually yeah. a dominant yeah. men. Um, and there's an Australian one uh, that I helped start up, which is also just the lineups. How many women are on a lineup? Yeah. Or um, you know, men, women. Yeah, I think that's a good. That's a good. Um, that's one good. Uh, that's one good reason. You probably we're. Yeah, you know, I do. But I that's do. Public accountability. That's a different thing as well to private. But I think that that idea that a statistic measured is a statistic improved. I think that, I think people are unaware of their level of fitness. And so when it becomes displayed, I mean, I think that's the argument from people who make the device. But, but one of the things that is interesting is, you know, like, you, you know this with meditation. Imagine, so there's a, hu- there's a huge slew of meditation devices available in the market. Mm. So there's one that I was just looking at that's, uh, that's this sort of, like, <laughs> it basically looks like a giant kind of spider that attaches to your chest. Ah, calming. wraps its legs around your thorax. And then when you breathe... It sort of measures the depth of breath or how far your diaphragm expands or whatever. That so the idea is it's supposed to measure. Upsetting to yeah. me. Right. So somehow you're supposed to stick a spider on your chest, a giant spider mm-hmm. on your chest, and then meditate. And then it sort of measures how well you're doing at your breathing or whatever, which is going to be like a, in some way a correlation to how well you're meditating. So first of all, I mean, the theory is a little bit nuts anyway. But secondly, I, you know, I sort of thought, like, w- 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 particularly with meditation, it's really obvious that the point, the reason meditation kind of works is that you're, you become aware of your own thoughts. It's like a really internal process. Mm. And so let's say, well, here's a thought experiment. What if I could put, give you an EEG, like headband, something mm. really simple, like a th- three-electrode EEG, and it would measure, like, there's a, there's a type of EEG activity called uh, theta activity. It's a certain range of frequencies. And one of the arguments is that meditation corresponds to an increase in theta power in the front center of the brain. You don't even need to present this as a <laughs> hypothetical to me because as part of the research for the podcast that we're doing for Audible, I oh, went and okay. did this thing called neurofeedback. Oh, you've already done it. I did one oh, session cool, of cool. it, which is, they, yeah, they put a little headband on you. What did you think? And they, they put a thing on screen and basically you're meant to try and keep the image yeah. big. So they, they give you baseline, they say which part of your brain they want to fix, Yeah. and then they attach the neurofeedback to that particular area of your brain that they say is too active or whatever right. it is. Um, I don't know how I felt about it. I, uh, I think it's bullshit. I, I think it's complete it, bullshit. It felt a little bit bullshitty. Well, you know what it is. I, I, the, the reason that it's bullshit, I think, I, 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 I mean, it's like... Look, the, the, I mean, the point of meditation is some ability to uh, regulate your thoughts, yes. right? So that this idea that you, it's like training a muscle mm. that does this thing, and, and you, you would like that muscle to function better, so you exercise the muscle, and the yes. muscle is the muscle that prevents runaway thoughts. Yeah. Um, but you know when you're having runaway thoughts, and, and, and the whole, I mean, I'm a real novice at it compared to you, but to me, like, one of the things that's really essential about meditation is just like you said with statistics, right? Like when you, when you display the problem, you draw, you draw attention to the problem, the problem kind of starts to fix itself. Yes. Right? You don't need a specific policy if 
the problem becomes evident. And meditation is very similar. You notice your thoughts running away. That's almost 99% of what you do. You just notice that that's happening. And the minute you notice, it kind of stops, you yeah. know? And then you notice again, and then it stops again, and you get better and better at noticing. You know, like for someone like you, you probably now notice very, very quickly where someone like me, maybe it takes five minutes, and then suddenly like, I'm like, oh my God, you know, for the last five minutes, I've just been having this runaway thought process. Yeah. So it's five minutes for me, maybe it's like 30 seconds for you, and maybe like the Dalai Lama is like a millisecond or something. But the point is that when you then externalize that into this biofeedback device, well, it's sort of like meditating performatively. It's, it is. And I'm, I'm, I also think it's, you know, the point of meditation is achieving this effect. It's achieving the effect of preventing the runaway thoughts. Mm. And now you're replacing that awareness of the effect with the awareness of this ball moving on a screen. If you achieve the effect, it's a coincidence now. Yes. Because you're not directly working on the effect. You're adding some intermediate step. Right, yeah, and, and, and the intermediate step, I'll tell you, is a, it's a theoretical leap. Yeah. And the theoretical leap is, does theta power in the center of the brain, is it really the essential element of meditation, or is it an epiphenomenon of meditation? Yeah. Are there ways to meditate and achieve control over your thoughts that don't cause an increase in theta power in the cingulate cortex? There may be. Well, who knows, right? Because yeah. We haven't looked at everybody who meditates. Like, there may be people who are really good at meditation. They're really good at achieving this tranquil, unmoving state of mind, and they don't have these EEG effects. I mean, we don't know. So now you're doing a device that's teaching you to generate these EEG effects with the hope that that predicts meditation. Yeah, it's sort of like saying when people do exercise, they sweat. So if you make people so you sweat, make people it will sweat. have the benefits of exercise. It's exactly right. Correlation Which is not actually, causation. looking at saunas, it does have some of the benefits of exercise, yeah, it does. but not all of the benefits it does. of exercise. That's right, that's right. So and it's also like, it's like saying this thing, like if you want, um, I mean, there are a lot of things with exercise where people go to the gym. So one of the arguments that you make in the elderly is that it's going to decrease falls in the elderly. Okay, certain kinds of exercise will and certain kinds of exercise won't. But it requires a lot more understanding of what causes falls in the elderly, right? And one, one thing you might want to work on is like you, you directly tackle that, that problem instead of tackling something else that may, you know, may produce the effect that you want but, but may not. And so that's my worry with all of this biofeedback stuff, the externalizing of the body. You know, we become, we become less aware of what we're actually trying to do. Well, I mean, that, that sort of generalizes as well to other things. If you're, if you're noticing a symptom and then addressing the symptom, you're not necessarily addressing the cause. So, for example, or not necessarily addressing the cause in a, a useful way. So, for example, a politically correct culture, you're noticing a symptom, which is people being insulted yeah. and offended by the use of derogatory terms. So you go, okay, put the derogatory terms off limits. Right. Will that solve racism? Will no. that solve right. the motivation? Uh, maybe some people, maybe some people on being asked to examine their terms will examine their attitudes. But a lot of people will just go, I guess I'm not allowed to say that anymore, fucking yeah. brown yeah. people. Like, yeah. you know, yeah. you're, you're addressing a symptom and not the root cause. And right. so the, another symptom will spring up, another insult will spring up, another euphemism will spring up yeah. for the nasty thing. And people will say it with this, like it's nowadays in in the schoolyard being called special is an insult because yeah. special was the antidote to spastic which was the antidote like right right there was so well, do you know i i saw i had this i was in um in berlin some years ago uh maybe 10 years ago 
when Germany was in the World Cup final with Brazil. Germany won that year. And I remember my friends who were German, they were really struck that there were these you know, topless guys with a German flag painted on their chest. And they were celebrating being German. And my, my friend who'd grown up in Berlin before the wall came down, she just said, this is really weird. Like nobody, you know, it used to be really shocking to see someone displaying the German flag because there was the idea that you shouldn't be patriotic yeah. in Germany because it, you know, Germany has this criminal past. Yes. And I sort of, you know, America is super, super patriotic. I mean, you, you, you're, you're kind Beyond. of, it's like basically like saying someone in America is unpatriotic is worse than saying they're a pedophile. I yeah. mean, it's the worst thing you can be. So to me, like this German display was kind of normal. A Americans would absolutely be doing at least this, if not 10 times more than that. And I was struck and I thought, you know, it's not really fair to be German and then not feel that you have the right to be proud of being German. I can, mm. I'm sympathetic to that idea that, you know, why shouldn't you be proud of the place you come from? And I grew up in America, and I'm certainly allowed to be proud of being American. I'm, I'm, I'm allowed to wear a flag on my backpack. And it seems weird to me that a German friend of mine wouldn't be allowed to do sort of the same thing because they should have this, this national shame. So I, I kind of see, like, this, is, this kind of becomes the well, roots of a racism, is, right? Yeah. It's hardly as though America has no national shame Absolutely. in its past. Absolutely, right. But at the same time, maybe it is a, a more positive thing to be less nationalistic. I don't know. I think it's a, it's a really positive thing. But, I mean, I, I, but it's, it's that thing that if you sort of say Germans aren't allowed to display the German flag, then where do you put this emotion that people want to be proud of the place that they're from? You know, they yeah. want to be proud of their family. They want to be pr proud of this, this story that they feel they've inherited. Yes. You know, and the truth is, like... If, 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 I don't think any of us are answerable for the misdeeds of previous generations, but we're also not, we're, we're not, we shouldn't be proud of their accomplishments either. You know, I mean, like, I, I, That's I, I, interesting. Why, why shouldn't I have a right to be proud of Heisenberg? I mean, like, I studied more Heisenberg probably than most your average German citizen, but yet they get to claim Heisenberg and I don't because of my skin color, right? I mean, that seems a little bit odd. Yes. Um, so on the one hand, I think there is, this, there is an idea that we have a, we have an inheritance, we have a human inheritance. Yes. So we're all, we're all the descendants of people that put men on the moon, and we're also the descendants of people that slaughtered the Jews, and, you know, we're the, we're, we're the inheritors of all of that culture. And should the Germans be more the inheritors of that than the English or the Americans? I mean, no, you know, I, mean, I don't this know. Is a, this is a real thing, and I've spoken about this uh, to friends before, of it wasn't... I don't know. I spoke to a man at, um, at a Holocaust museum about why the Germans? Why did it ha could it have happened anywhere? Because in my head, I think maybe it could have. I think anybody, in, given the right circumstances, given the right oh, yeah. set of pressures, could have done that. It could have been in that world. Um, well, any group of people, let's say, not any necessarily individual, because there are extraordinary individuals out there. And he said there was something about the German disciplinary system that lent oh, itself wow. yeah, to yeah, yeah. There's that. a huge range of theories that, like you know, this. When he was at school as a young boy in Germany, yeah. if, you, if your tie was on crooked, they'd beat you. Yeah. You, had, you had to salute and go forward, and you know, the French wouldn't have done that, and the, Rus the Russians yeah. were not organized enough for that kind of thing. That aside, I often think when I meet somebody, I think two things. First, I think, would you have been a Nazi? given the right circumstances and the right pressure. I think the answer is we all and the would answer is, no, all I, the answer been. is most people would. And it's not... There are... And that's one of the reasons why I like stand-up comedians so much, because they're all weirdos. Yeah. And a lot of them wouldn't have. 
And then the second question I ask myself, and this is particularly with activists, is if your problem went away tomorrow, if the battle you're fighting went away tomorrow, would you be angry about it? Um, that's interesting. It's, uh, yeah. you know, because some people, some very excellent and useful activists are what happens when a social the, climber meets a social movement. It's not yeah. necessarily the cause... They're not interested in solving the problem. They're They're interested in having a problem that identifies them by contrast. That identifies them, and and it's kind of virtue signaling, right? That they're an activist, they're a good person because they're advocating for something which we can all agree is good. Yeah. Um, Yeah, it's kind of virtue signaling, and if they they lose that virtue signaling... Then they have no identity and no purpose. What do they have, right? Um, Yeah, that's right. And I think the trouble is when, when, when 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 you're trying to do virtue signaling and you run up against someone else who's trying to do virtue signaling in the opposite way. So, yes. you know, you, you're kind of... You, you say, like, well, I mean, like, the Holocaust was actually a really bad thing, and someone else says, well, but I want to be proud to be German. Yes. I want to be proud of my history. Why, why, you get to be proud of your history. Why don't I get to be proud yeah, of my history? Yeah, why can't history? I be, in, I mean, you, why you, you can't know, I be proud of Wittgenstein and Heisenberg right, without... And, and, and the argument it could well be there's blood on everybody's hands. It's just how far back do you go? You know, how yeah. far does that keep going forward? How many generations until that's expunged? Yes. Right? Because apparently for the Americans, it's about two generations and we're, 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 we're scot-free now. One generation. Yeah. Right. I mean, how many generations for the Australians? How many generations for the English? Like, how many generations do we carry this forward? And then it happens again and again, right? What about new things that all of our countries are, are doing? So I can see, you know, I can see that if you're, if you're virtue signaling one way and, and, and some sort of, like, neo-Nazis virtue signaling another way, because in their culture, they're, you know, no, they, they, I, I don't think in these, like, really racist cultures, they're... They're focusing on the racism. See, they, I think they focus on their, the, the pride in their heritage. That's yes. the language they use with each other. Yes. So what, and, and, and you can see that that is a virtue. It is a virtue to be proud of who you are and where you come from. And I think unless we sort of recognize the virtues, that we're, we're each espousing virtues, mm. right? And, I, and it's not to say that I think, you know, <laughs> I, I feel like I'm defending Holocaust deniers, no. which I, I certainly am not. But... Um, you know, I do, I do think we get, we get really stuck when we start thinking that certain things are just right and wrong and they, and they don't have any value Redeeming to them. Redeeming features to them. Right. Yeah, so when these guys in Germany, like in the World Cup, when they're wearing the German flags on their chest, I do think it's okay to say, you know what, your, your team is in the World Cup finals. That's amazing. I mean, yeah. that's really an accomplishment. And, you know, if you, if, if you follow sports teams, which I don't, but, you know, I'm like, I, I think it's exciting. It's exciting to have... A team in the World Cup finals, and it's and it's reasonable to then celebrate your team, and celebrate the place where you were born and the place where you feel like you know this is who you are. And there is a sense of, you know, it's 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 it's, it's weird for me, and it might even be weird for you because I think we're not from typical backgrounds from the countries we're from. You know, my family is not American, and yet I'm American. So it's like for me, it's uh it's a bit more distant. Mm. I, I wouldn't wear an American flag on my shirt, but not because I have a problem with it, but just because I, I've never really understood this thing that I get to celebrate the background of my... I don't have a kind of a heritage that could be encapsulated in that way. So I sort of... I mean, I'm sort of envious of people that do. Like, I'm envious of someone who's just a white, German, blonde, Aryan guy who thinks 
I've got thousands of years of German history behind me. I've never had this sort of feeling that yeah, I could I be like that. I know? think I would have. I think I would find that intimidating. Actually, part of being part of the thing that I enjoy about being a bit of a mongrel is that I get to, you know, I. I don't like competition. I go for individualistic sports yeah. because I like to be. The. I like to be defined only by myself. Like you know, you know what I mean. Yeah. I'm the only one of this thing. Yeah, I know what you mean. I feel like that too. You get a fluidity to your identity. I mean, you get to define your own identity. Yes. Uh, and that seems nicer to me. Yeah. But it's also like you know, I, I think it's you and I are lonely. both. It's it, but it's also like you and I don't have another choice. No. Right. So it's making it's nice a virtue we, it's out nice, of a it, thing. Yeah, it's nice that we like the situation we've landed in, but we haven't known any other. We've never known another situation. Yeah, it might be great to fit in. It might be great. <laughs> it might be great. I don't know. Um, yeah, but I think I, I think the idea that we, um, you know, you carve out an identity, and you don't really. It's it's not it's not that healthy to carve out an identity in opposition to someone else. Because you're absolutely right to say that if that becomes your identity, you depend on the existence of the other one. And you require the, the existence. This is yeah. the other thing. This is one of the things I mean, to take this to a culturally higher level, this is like the Batman-Joker problem. Do you remember is, in that movie where yes. Joker says, like, you know, you exist because of me, and, or he says something like that. And I exist like because of you, and without you, there is no without, me. Yeah, without you, there is no me. Which is why you have this kind of bad faith misinterpretation on both sides where where your right-wing activist or your left-wing activist will find a problem that isn't there or create a problem mm. or start a conflict where you know they they'll read they'll read everything up to racism or rather than giving someone the benefit of yeah. the doubt because they need that racism to exist for them to yeah. be for them to have a role. functional and useful that's a, that's a problem because there is racism that exists that needs to be addressed yeah but if you're constantly finding it everywhere, it sort of it dilutes the problem both into something that is so vast it can never be solved, and also so petty that people who see you doing it think you're an idiot. Yeah. Why are you worrying about that? Yeah. Yeah. You know, the rubbish bin is black because that's the color <laughs> of the plastic. It's not because we're saying black people are rubbish bins. Yeah. You know. Exactly. It's that, exactly. That kind of thing that that it puts people offside. Yeah. That you know bad faith but you know i do i think you're you're hitting on something really interesting which is that when the messages become compressed and rapid you know racism or sexism or these messages there it's easy to express them yeah it's you you've got a tag that that uh, one word evokes this whole idea this whole school of thought it 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 evokes like in-group and out-group status. It, it evokes a million things, and it's really easy to get it in the 140 characters if you use the one word. But if you sort of try to say anything subtle, you can't. You yeah. can't do that on social media. You can't, even do, you can't even do that on television, really, because it's a wide-ranging discussion, right? Yeah. So now you, you, you have to have these, these group labels that are really quick and really pithy. Everybody immediately, if you say, okay, I'm like... If I'm a neo-Nazi or whatever, like everybody knows what you—it's it's a convenient package. They know the haircut you have. They know exactly what tattoos you have. They know where you like to shop. They know how good your teeth are. Exactly. Everything. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's kind of why I have this um, podcast. Really, is to provide yeah. an alternative to that necessity to have everything. Yeah. Quick and easy. Um, speaking of which, where can people find you online? Oh, uh, I don't really have an online presence yet. Well I'll done, get one. you. <laughs> 
yeah, so I'll say I don't know. You don't I don't know. know. I'll add something in. You've got a book, in. right? Well, I've got a book with Ruby Wax uh, called How to Be Human, the manual. It's with uh, Ruby Wax, myself, and a Buddhist monk called Gelong Tupton. So you can find that. Find that, and otherwise just send me an email and I'll pass it on. Yeah. Thank Great. you so much, Ash. Pleasure, pleasure.